0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We are so honored to be here. We love this house. We love your pastors. We love your passion. Look at you guys. You are out here leaning into God's word and coming and worshiping in his house. I just love that. I want to show you my family because it keeps getting bigger. I think I only had... uh, One son married last time I was here, so I wanna show you what's going on in my family. This is what my family looks like. My third son is still being paired off with my dog. We need him to get married, that's not okay. That's my dog, it's a cute dog. But it's not going to produce grandchildren. Then there is my second son. He is married to the beautiful Jessica. My baby son, who came with me the last time I was here, who's now married to the lovely Christian, who is here today, so you can meet her. Then there is Lizzie. That's my wild one, Lizzie the lioness. Then I have Sophia hugging my old husband, John Bevere. We've been married 39 years this year. There's me. There's my beautiful Texas daughter-in-law. My oldest son, Addison, and And then there's my oldest grandson, Asher, holding my youngest grandson, August. But I want you to look at Asher for a moment. Asher is a 39-year-old man trapped in an 11-year-old's body. Okay, so we took him to Disney World pre-COVID. Just thankfully, we went pre-COVID. And the entire way there, I sat next to him on the airplane, and he had the Disney World brochure, and he went through every single ride. Is it going to be dark? Will people be screaming? Will you scream? Will I go upside down? Because I don't want to go upside down. I'm okay with spinning. We went through every single ride. And so at the baggage claim, John pulled me aside and said, we better start out slow with him. He could have a meltdown on the very first ride. But John is Italian, and I am Sicilian. Italians will feed you. Sicilians might kill you. So we have a little bit of a different parenting style. I said, we are not going to start out slow. I'm going to find out the scariest ride at Disney World, which is the dinosaur ride. That's what everybody agreed on. We're going to start up with that, and then it's going to be easy downhill from there. So we started out in the dinosaur ride. we I'm not going to lie. I closed my eyes two or three times, and I knew it was fake. And when we got off of it, he said, g mama, that was terrifying, and that was fun. Welcome to being a Christian in 2021. It is terrifying, and it is fun, but you were not made for It's a Small World. You were made for the Avatar ride. You were made for another time and another place, and I don't know where we all got the idea that we could be a hero without a battle. So we need to understand that we are woven for this time we are woven for this moment. God could have picked any time for us to be alive. And he was like, we're going to put them in this season and in this moment. And So you need to stop being afraid. You were made for this time. And God's got something he's going to do in and through your life. So you need to get ready for it. So I don't know if you know this. I'm crazy. I'm intense. My husband is very focused. I'm ADD. I have a book out there called Godmothers, Why You Need One, How to Be One. How many of you know that we all have gaps in our lives? And one of the gaps that we have is a generation gap. We have the older women who are commissioned to teach and train the younger women. But we have the older women thinking they have nothing to give. And we have the younger women thinking that nobody wants to sow into them. But I believe that God wants to connect the older generation with the younger generation. There is no reason That you should have to learn the hard way. The lessons I've already learned the hard way. See the younger generation will have struggles of their own. But I need to layer them with the faithfulness of God that I have seen. See, I turned 60 last year, so that means I am in a season of imparting. See, from zero to 30, you're growing and you're learning. From 30 to 60, you're building and learning, but from 60 on, you better be imparting and establishing. The Bible says the path of the righteous winds ever higher. I have an aerial view on some stuff that this generation only sees up close. And so I want to see the older and the younger women connected. I want to close some of these gaps. A gap is defined as a breach, a breach in a wall of protection that leaves both at, at risk, are vulnerable to attack. We've got the older women who are vulnerable to discouragement. And we've got the younger women who are vulnerable to distraction and comparison. And so we need to close those gaps. So I'm super excited. I'm going to be preaching out of this message today. But I want to remind you that God has a promise on your life. God has a promise on your life. Jeremiah 29, is God talking to his people when they were in exile, if there was ever a time that I felt like God's people were in exile, it is right now. And this is what he says. This, this is what I love. God is like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Thank God. Thank God somebody knows what's going on. Thank God. God's like, hey, I got this. When my boys were little, we had a suburban, and I have four sons, I'd be like, everybody, get in the car. They'd be like, oh, no, are you going to run errands? We hate it when you run errands. How long are we going to be gone? How many places are we going to go? And I never knew. I never knew how long it would take me because I didn't know where I'd find everything I needed. So I would just say to my boys, I know the plans I have for you, plans to do good and not to harm you, plans to get you snacks and school supplies. Get in the car. How long will we be gone? I don't know. But just get in the car and enjoy the ride. God is saying to you, you're not going to figure it out. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He knows what's going on when all of us are like, what the heck? He's like, I know. I know it's crazy, but I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. See, he was telling a people in exile, This is not the time for you to live like you are leaving. He said, You're going to be here for 70 years. And so he said, Plant vineyards, have your children get married, flourish in a time of exile. We are supposed to flourish in seasons of hardship. That is what distinguishes God's people when everybody else is afraid. We are like, God's got this, God's got a plan. I don't know what it is, but I am going to flourish and I am going to multiply what everybody else is divided. And he goes, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, when you look at the picture of my kids, you probably see something different than what I see. You see a cute fluffy dog. You see happy children. You know what I see? I see the redemption of God. I see the promise of God in my family because I did not come from a family that was normal or knew how to actually honor and serve God. I came from a broken family. My dad was an alcoholic. My parents were divorced, not once, but twice. They remarried each other and said, let's do this again. Let's divorce one more time. It was crazy town. I didn't know how to do anything, but I said, God, I believe that you have a plan for my family, and I believe it's a hope and a future. See, what God does in your life today isn't just about you. It's about your future generations. There's decisions that you can make in this moment that will affect your children's children. And so we need to be, people understand, it isn't about the now. It is about a hope and a future as well. And so because this is true, we need to all focus. We need to all focus. I love to quote Zig Ziglar because he makes me sound like I'm a success coach, which I'm not, and he makes me sound smart. This is what he says. He says, I don't care how much power, brilliance, or energy you have if you don't harness it and focus it on a specific target and hold it there. See, we have to hold things there. Having done all to stand, You stand there for and hold it there. You're never going to accomplish as much as your ability warrants. See, there's a lot of people that are a lot more talented than me, but there's not many that are more focused. See, I have this ability to say, I know what God's called me to do, and I refuse to get distracted. I am going to focus. See, focus has this ability to multiply every God-given capability and talent on your life. Distraction will diminish what is on your life, but focus will multiply what is on your life, and you think, well, what am I supposed to focus on? Well, it's certainly not entertainment. And it's certainly not social media. And it's certainly not what everybody else is doing. Because you will never discover what you are called to do looking at what everybody else has already done. You will only discover what you are called to do in the presence of God. Not in the presence of people. Not in comparison and competition. And so when we focus, we have a focus. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that Jesus is our focus. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finish this race we're in. See, there's a lot of people that begin, but I don't want to just begin. I want to finish. So he began, and he finished this race that we're in. So he actually has already run the course that all of us are on. He began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. You think, how? How? He's not alive anymore. That's why you read scriptures. You need to look at how Jesus was focused. You need to see where he got his life and energy from. He was never playing to the crowds. He was always listening for his father's direction. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Do you hear that? We finish in and with. In and with. See, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We finish in and with he is the source of our life in and with he could put up with anything along the way cross shame whatever and now he is there in the place of honor right alongside of god focus redirects our energy our gifts and talents towards a goal and what is our goal our goal is transformation in a world that is saying be like us we're learning to be like him And that is why we have to look at Jesus, because when we look at everybody else, that is what we're going to start looking like. I had a ninja motorcycle for a very short time period in my life. It was not one of my smartest investments, but one of the things I learned about riding a motorcycle is that you go where you look. And one of the most challenging uh, things for me was roundabout's. Because roundabouts, you got to, like, turn the whole time. And, I, you know, it, it's, okay, and also, you guys, I should never have had a motorcycle. So I lost an eye to cancer when I was five. And they told me there were certain things I shouldn't do. And so I made a list of all those things and decided, yes, I will have a motorcycle. Yes, I will fly an airplane. Yes, I will do diving. Yes, I will do gymnastics. And a lot of those things have resulted in injuries. But anyway, I, so uh, when you are going on a motorcycle, you look where you are going, not where you are. Because if you look down, the bike goes down. And one of the things about riding a motorcycle is, At the intersection, you got to look at what everybody else is doing because nobody is actually noticing you because you're the smallest vehicle. And so we have to be people who understand where we are headed. And we are all at an intersection between the way things are and the way they should be. And we got to look where we are going and stop looking where we are right now. God is anointing a people to prophesy, but instead, we think we're anointed to criticize. We are all walking down a tunnel and there's a lot of graffiti on the wall of that tunnel. And we need to stop reading what is on the wall and we need to look at the light of the end of the tunnel and prophesy, prophesy. There's God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And we are gonna get our inspiration from heaven. I am an ambassador of heaven walking the face of this earth and I cannot be entangled with the struggles of this earth, because I know that Jesus is my focus. I love what Romans 12:2 says. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed, that's what this world wants. Conform, conform, conform. Say what we say, agree with what we say. Look like us, act like us. Jesus said, don't be conformed, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind. You know, my mind can be crazy. You think, oh no, that probably doesn't happen to her. You guys, I just went through menopause. Menopause makes you mean and crazy. No, no, no. It's like being premenstrual for years. I'd be like, who is this crazy woman in my head? What is she saying? Oh, no, you can't listen to this crazy woman. you got to renew your mind. Because if you say those things, you're getting thrown off the airplane. Lisa, don't do that. Renew your mind. It takes intent. Every single person, your feeling want to take you hostage. And if your feelings don't want to take you hostage, social media wants to take you hostage. Media wants to take you hostage. Republican Party wants to take you hostage. Democrat Party wants to take you hostage. Conspiracy theories want to take you hostage. You have to decide that you're going to renew your mind to the kingdom mindset, that you are not going to get entangled and conformed to the arguments of this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There are so many things that sound right and feel wrong here. But if I don't renew my mind, I cannot be discerning. I will be deceived. we got to renew our mind so that we can discern. What does it discern mean? It means to rightly divide to actually understand we're moving through. We're not going to stop here and whine and cry and be scared. We were made for this time, but it requires focus. 1 Thessalonians says, it is clear to us friends that God not only loves you very much, but he has also put his hand on you for something special. Do you hear that? God loves you and he has put his hand on you for something special, When the message we preach came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. See, the word is alive. And sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I'll hear a scripture. And other times I'll hear a song because it is speaking to that something in me. That something that God has put his hand on my life for. And there is something on you. See, my job Is the perfecting of the saints for the saints to do the work of the ministry. The platform is not the be-all and end-all of the ministry. The platform is to prepare the saints. And it says, you paid careful attention to the way we lived among you. And determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit. Taking the trouble with the joy and the joy with the trouble. Guess what? We get persecuted. We get persecuted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if y'all didn't know that. We get persecuted. There's trouble with the word. And we need to understand. We can conform and you will have no trouble. But you will never be a friend to the world if you're a friend with the world. The church is in bed with the world when it's supposed to be bedside to the world. So we need to understand there should be a difference between us and the world. You know, I'm a boy mom. I raised four boys, and And that meant I watched mostly boy movies. Like my girlfriends, we'd get together and they'd talk about a movie. I'd be like, I never even heard of that movie. What do you guys think of Thor? I mean, like I had only seen like Marvel and Man of Steel and those kind of things. And Man of Steel was like a family favorite for us. And uh, there's this particular scene in Man of Steel that I want to paint the picture of for you. It's Superman when he's a little boy. And he's sitting in the classroom. When all of his superpowers come into play. And now all of a sudden he doesn't just see his teacher. He sees her heart beating, he sees her lungs. He doesn't just see the clock, he can hear it ticking. Every noise, every sight is magnified to the place where he is so overwhelmed. And the teacher is asking him a question that he knows the answer to, but he can't get the answer out because of all of the interference. So he runs out of the room, locks himself in the closet. They can't get him to come out, so they call for his mama. And his mama shows up and he says, "Mom." The world is just too big. And she said, then make it smaller. And I am telling you right now, your inability to connect with everything that is coming your way is not a failure. It is a fail safe. You need to make your world smaller. If you are feeling overwhelmed, you don't even need superpowers right now to feel overwhelmed. You just need a telephone. You just need a cell phone. But why are we bowing our heads to receive information when God has said to lift your head? We need to stop bowing to what we can hold in our hands and lift our eyes and begin to prophesy our way out of this mess that we are in right now. We need to understand that God wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing. You know, I've had the privilege of writing books and my turn my manuscript in one way, and it comes back a very different way from my editors. My editors, like, this is a bunch of nonsense you wrote. We're just gonna cross all this out. You either need to fix it or it's just, it's superfluous. It's not gonna add to your point, it's gonna distract. And the Holy Spirit wants to edit your life. He wants you to be able to focus on what is actually in your stewardship, what is in your control. You do not allow every person to have an opinion about you. I'm sorry. You can't allow these random words of mean strangers to wound your soul. There's this beautiful function called restrict. They are screaming on your social media, and nobody can see it but you. It's awesome. They think, why is nobody interacting with it? Because they shouldn't be talking. It's your thread. And if somebody is causing you problems, it's not mean to block them. You have the right to edit your life. And not everybody has the right to have voice in your life. In your world, you're going to have virtual relationships, And you're going to have actual relationships. And your actual relationships deserve more attention than your virtual relationships. You're going to have transformational relationships. Those are the people that are your iron sharpening iron. That is your husband. That is your wife. That is your children. That is your friends. Those are the people that are going to ask you the questions you don't want to answer and tell you the things you don't want to hear. But those are also the people that are committed to your growth. They're not just some random critic out there. They want to see you grow. And then you have your transactional relationships. And those are people that are for you when you're for them or you have something for them. And they're not evil, but you better not blur the two. You better understand that you get your life from your actual transformational relationships. Not likes on Instagram or follows or whatever it is on Facebook or really mean people on Twitter. You just need to understand that you are playing to an unseen audience. And God doesn't care how many people are following you. He wants to make sure you're leading people to Christ. And so we need to be people who understand in this time of distraction, we need to focus. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, My dear friends, this is now the second time I've written to you both letters, reminders to hold your minds in a state of undistracted attention. See, I love this. This gives me permission to hold my mind. It also lets me know I have the right to choose what my mind will hold. I don't know about you, but I feel betrayed by certain programs and series I've watched on TV. Like, for example, The Crown. I thought Queen Elizabeth and I were going to be friends. Episode episode one through whatever it was, first season, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to meet her one day, and I'm going to be like, I loved your outfit in episode seven, season one. But then season two happened, and I remember I would have to sneak into my bedroom, watch on an iPad because I lived with all guys, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm looking, and I'm like, what is going on? I close my iPad really fast, full-on pornography full on pornography in the crown i wonder if queen elizabeth knows about this and i was like i'm so sorry i'm gonna have to break up with the crown i'm going to have to break up i'm sad about this because i don't know if you've noticed what happens they start clean they get you emotionally involved You want to see what's going on with the characters. And then all of a sudden you're watching something that you would never have watched before in your entire life. And you think, i got to see this because i got to know what's going to happen. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have images fighting your mind. You're going to have things that come against your purity. And I have discovered something you will never have authority over the things you choose to be entertained by. You have to say, I'm gonna resharpen that sword that is in my life. I am gonna not laugh at things that are actually not funny. And I'm not gonna look at things I shouldn't see. We have to be people who say, we're gonna hold our mind at a state of undistracted attention. People are like, I can't read my Bible, but I can binge watch 25 Netflix shows. Oh no, you're just choosing. You're just choosing. Well, you can't read your Bible, guess what? There's audio Bibles. There is absolutely no excuse right now for not putting in the Word of God. There is absolutely no excuse right now for having an atmosphere of oppression in your house. Crank some music, dance, yell, cheer but you have to understand what's really going on is there is a very real attack. We are not wrestling with flesh and bloods or Democrats and Republicans. We are wrestling with principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places and you better know who you are and what's really going on. So we tend to fight about the stupid stuff. We tend to fight about the non-essential things. And so I'm gonna actually try to unpack some of the things that are really, really important, and some of the things that are distractions. And so I'm going to just go through a little list here, and it's probably not exhaustive, and maybe you won't even agree with all of them. But one of the things that I consider essential versus non-essential is it's non-essential the gender of who is preaching. The essential is that Christ is preached. So it isn't about whether it's male or female or young or old. It's whether it's Jesus being preached. So Jesus is the essential and the gender is the non-essential. Non-essential is how we worship. Some people are like, musical instruments are of the devil. Other people are like, I like hymns. Other people are like, I love the drums. The drums are amazing. That's a style of worship. That's not something worth arguing about. What's essential is who we worship. Better be Jesus that we are worshiping. Non essential is how we look. You know, God says, I don't look at the outside, I look at the heart. And the heart determines how we live. And how we live is the essential, not how we look. Non essential are achievements. I have a funny story. I have a book that is a New York Times bestseller. That's kind of like, if you're an author, you're like, if I could only have a New York Times bestseller. Uh, That was kind of the pinnacle. Do you know what happens when you get a New York Times bestseller? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens. I didn't even know I had one. I went to bed on a Friday night. That's when the list comes out. I went to bed And at 11.30, I heard pound, pound, pound on my door. And my mom, adrenaline, like, (gasps) sat up, opened the door. There was two young men. They're they're now married. Hallelujah. No, actually, one of them is still single. But they were standing there in boxers. And I thought, oh, my gosh, why am I seeing this? And they said, Mom, guess what? You're a New York Times bestseller. I was like, what? They picked me up. They jumped up and down with me, dumped me on top of John, who was asleep in the bed. And they left. That was it. I thought I'm going to get an email saying congratulations for a New York Times. But no, nothing. Two boxer brief men came to my bedroom, knocked on the door, did an adrenaline rush, and that was it. Do you think God is excited about the books I sell or the books I seed? See, God is more impressed with the books I give away than the books I sell. So a non-essential is our achievements. And the essential is how we love You know, it goes through that you can deliver your body to be burned. And if you have not love, it profits you nothing, no thing. You get nothing for that. That's a pretty big offering, burned body. Non-essential, my opinions. You guys, I'm sorry. I think my opinions should be essential. But God is like, no, Lisa, I actually don't need your opinions. I have so many opinions about things. God's like, yeah, I don't need your opinions. What is the essential? The truth. And notice I said the truth, not your truth. See, so everybody's like, I got a truth, you got a truth, you got a truth back up there. Next week, my truth can be different. No, we don't get to do that because the truth is not a what. The truth is a who. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he does not change It says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you can have a story, and there can be something that is true of you, but you don't get to have your truth. And don't get mad at me, don't say Oprah says I can Sorry, that is not the truth. Okay, so the truth is something that never changes. What is true of me right now is I got four grandkids. What I hope will be true of me in about five years is I have 10 to 20 grandkids. So that will change. My truth changes. The truth does not change. And so we need to understand we have a culture that acts like truth is subjective. That is not okay. Truth is not subject to my experiences. Jesus is the truth. He is the rock I fall on. So that is what, something we just got to get straightened out. A non-essential, my identity and culture, especially now in a cancel culture. Y'all could get canceled in a moment. If you've got your identity attached to how culture is interacting with you, you're going to get shaken really fast and you're going to compromise to be popular. But if you understand your identity in Christ, then you understand that is the unshakable. That is the essential. The the non-essential is what we have, and essential is what we give. God is a very different economic system than we have. Non-essential is unity of doctrine. We are never going to agree with doctrine. Some people are like uh, pre-trib rapture. My husband and I don't even agree with everything on different things. Unity of doctrine is not going to happen, but unity of faith unity of faith, where we put our faith that Jesus is the son of God, that he is born of a virgin, that God is a loving father. These are the things that we unite, that the Holy Spirit activates the church. We were singing our unity of faith. Doctrine is just a superfluous thing compared to the unity of faith. But we tend to argue about doctrine, not about the unity of our faith. Non-essential is what we eat. Essential is what we say. Jesus said it's not what goes in, that defiles a man. It's what comes out of our mouth. And you and I have been told that we are going to, give a, we're going to give an account for every idle word. And you think, what's an idle word? It's a word that is void of utility and function. You and I have been entrusted with the word of God. We have been trusted with the ability to bless rather than curse. We've been entrusted with the ability to build people rather than slander and tear them down. I want to be careful with what I say, which is another reason for me to stay away from my opinions. A non-essential is what culture says. Culture can love you one moment, hate you in the next. An essential is what does scripture say? What does God say about you? What does scripture say about the church? See, I believe the church is becoming the bride. So let's not criticize where she is right now. Let's declare who she is becoming. Non-essential is what others do. Essential is what I do. I am only in charge of myself. I remember when I had my firstborn son, he is so wired for justice. He began to be the boss of the other three sons, and I'd have to pull him aside all the time and say, Addison, who are you in charge of? And he'd stomp his foot and say, myself, yeah, that's all you got to be in charge of is yourself. You do not have to control everybody else's behavior. You will be completely frustrated trying to do that. You cannot control how people treat you, but you can choose your response to them. And that is powerful. When people slap us, we can turn the other cheek or we can slap them back. You can make that choice. Non-essential what we study Essential, what we live. I don't care how many scriptures you have memorized. I want to know how many you actually live out in your life. Non-essential, the integrity of others. It's so much fun to poke fun at everybody else, but God is like, what about you? What about your integrity? we got to deal with our own integrity. That is our essential. Non-essential, what others believe. Essential, what we believe. Non-essential, how we dress. Essential, how we clothe the naked. That is our actions. Non-essential, how we've been wronged. Who has not been wronged? Some more than others. But the essential is how we forgive and how we have been forgiven. Now I'm going to close with one of my favorite stories. You know, i first-generation Christian. I was raised where the Bible was something you didn't touch. It was beautiful. It was holy. It had gold leaf edges. You know, you couldn't understand it. And so when I started having children, I wanted the word of God to be alive for them. So I used to act out scriptures with them so they could interact with it. And one of our favorite stories to interact was Blind Bartimaeus. And Addison was always Blind Bartimaeus and I was the crowd sometimes and then I was Jesus the other times. But Blind Bartimaeus has a very interesting story. Jesus is in Jericho. He's just had amazing meetings and there is his disciples and his crowd leaving with him and he has sent his face like flint. To go to Jerusalem, he's like this is you know this is my last big meeting before a really rough time, and this is what it says in Mark 10 verse 46. It says, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I think that's really interesting. See it said he'd heard it was Jesus of Nazareth but he doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth have mercy on me. He says Jesus son of David have mercy on me. You think why is that important? Because calling Jesus the son of David was the same as calling him Messiah. Jesus Messiah have mercy on me. And it said that many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. See right there, I love him. I love him because he is a lesson for each and every one of us. Don't you dare allow the crowd to silent you because the crowd is not the one with your answer. And don't you dare argue and say, don't you tell me to be quiet. He did not even interact with them because he understood Jesus the Messiah was his answer. And so while they're telling him to be quiet, he just cries out louder. And we need to be a people who get our eyes on Jesus when everybody is saying, look here, look there. We just are like, I'm not messing with your nonsense. I know who is my source of life. And we cry out to the Messiah. And it said, Jesus stopped and said, call him. I just, I just love that imagery. He stopped. He was on his way to Jerusalem to die for you and me. And he stops because one blind man on the side of the road knew who he was was calling him the messiah that had to encourage him and it said call him and they called the blind man saying to him take heart get up and came to Jesus and Jesus said to him what do you want me to do for you now i always think that's hilarious like is it not obvious like the guy is blind like you know <laughs> but he's like what do you want me to do for you and he says I want to recover my sight. And there comes a time where you cry out to Jesus and you realize you've lost your focus. You've gotten distorted. It's gotten clouded. So many other things have blocked that image. And you cry out to Jesus and you said, hey, these things in the world, the distractions, the cares, the deceitfulness of riches, these things, they've caused me to lose sight of who you are and who I am and relationship to you. And I believe as a church, we need to cry out to Jesus. We want to recover our sight. It's gotten really confusing and muddy out there. It's crazy, Jesus. I want to recover my sight. And it said that Jesus didn't even, like this is the thing I love about this interaction. Jesus didn't even touch him. He said, your faith, your faith has opened your eyes. And he said, no, just go on back. And he was like, no, I'm sorry. You're my focus now. And he followed him to Jerusalem. I don't know what's caused you to lose your sight. I don't know what's blurred your vision. I don't know whether the crisis that we've been in made you think that the promise of God before COVID is no longer the promise of God during COVID or after COVID. But I need you to begin to prophesy your way out to the other side. I don't know what's blinded you, but I need you to get back your vision. Bartimaeus wasn't a distraction. He was a divine interruption. And you got to know the difference between distractions and interruptions. Because there comes a time where people are crying out right now for Jesus, the Messiah. And we've, we've only uh, realized a little bit of what God has anointed us to do. But we were woven for times of hardship I love that Luke 4 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is Jesus talking, but you are his hands and feet. So I'm going to say this to you. The spirit of the Lord is upon you because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to announce this is god's year to act you know it's always god's year to act and it is always god's year of favor because we are not attached to a calendar we are attached to a king we are attached to a kingdom and so i believe that in this time where everybody is thinking disfavor disaster We need to say, oh no, this is God's year of favor for his people. This is God's year for God's people to remember who they are. This is God's year to release captives and recover sight to the blind and open up deaf ears. This is the season that you were made for. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church.